Friends Church, it is a little chilly in here this morning. I apologize for that. Our heaters are having a hard time keeping up with the zero degree temperatures. Uh, but uh, we come to gather as the people of God to stay warm, do we not? And uh, singing and doing those things. Thank you for joining us online. We have a lot of people, I'm sure, in their home nestled in their PJs and such. Uh, We're going to return to the book of Mark this week, and it's going to be a a fantastic uh, start back in chapter 4. You know, when when you think of people that live in the northern part of the world, North Pole, Canada. This is kind of how they live on a day-to-day basis, Antarctica. They live in sub-zero degree temperatures all the time, and uh, it doesn't bother them, so it's not bothering us today either. But um, it's actually a really good analogy for people to gather together to stay warm In the Christian life, it is the same. You gather together as the people of God to not get a cold heart. A hard heart is actually what we've seen in the book of Mark from the beginning, the first three chapters, these certain religious leaders. Because the king of kings has come, and yet the religious leaders has rejected this king. Even though the king was prophesied about in the prophets. This king who is declared by John the Baptist. This king who while he was being baptized, a voice from heaven came down and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. The king who casts out evil spirits. The king who heals the sick, cleanses the lepers, and makes men walk. He's the guy who, he's the king who causes withered hands to come back to life, regenerate, and make them straight. And yet the Pharisees, the religious leaders, hearts were so hard that they say what he's doing, all these miracles that he has done, he's the prince of demons. That's how we see in chapter 3. They declare he's doing all this miraculous works through the demonic That about sums up the first three chapters pretty nicely. It's the 12 and the disciples who are following this Jesus, giving up everything to follow him, who will give to them the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And those who have rejected him, having a hard heart and making excuses about what he does and what he has done, well their hearts will grow continuously harder. Remember Mark, if we go back in our study, Mark's actually like the Twitter version of the Gospels. It's, it's continuing in action. It's quick. It's short stories. And, and he continues this theme of King Jesus. But he's continuing to ask this question, where is your heart? Is your heart with Christ or is your heart in some place else? Do you desire to hear and follow Jesus? Or has your heart grown cold to God's plan of redemption through the gospel? 
Hopefully this morning we can light a fire under our cold heart through the word of God and allow the teachings of Jesus to change your perspective on life. I promise, I didn't know this morning it was going to be cold in this room before this sermon, okay? But hopefully the word of God is going to light a fire in us this morning. This next section in chapter 4 is actually the largest unit in Mark in which Jesus teaches besides the Olivet Discourse in Mark chapter 13, and it's devoted to the teachings of Jesus. So let's hear from Christ what he wants to speak to us this morning. If you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 12, and if you'll stand with me, we'll read it together. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So he got into a boat and he sat in the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land and he was teaching them many things in parables and his teaching he said to them, listen, the sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell along the paths and the birds came and devoured it and other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. Verse 8, and other seed fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30, 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. And when he was done, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. The word of the Lord this morning, you can have a seat. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we ask that as we uh, see your word and understand what you're doing through your teaching of parables, we ask that you would open our hearts, Father, to understand your word and your truth, that you would soften us, Father, to believe upon Christ for salvation and desire to understand and to know the truths about the kingdom of God. Father, break our cold hearts, warm them by the fire of your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Back in the year of of our Lord, 2016, we decided to take our kids ice skating, all right? And they were four and two at the time, never been on the ice before. And, if, and you can understand a two and a four-year-old getting on the ice skating rink is not easy. They waddle onto the ice skating rink, barely able to stand up on their skates. And they begin to move forward, only to fall flat on their face, right? That's what a two and four-year-old do on ice skates. Tears, more tears, broken pride, and Jordan and I just beginning to just hold them up and skate with them, right? And when, if you're a parent who has done this before, if you know what you're experiencing, you end up just putting them between your legs, holding them up, and barely touching the ice as you skate along 
on the ice. And your arms begin to be tired, only to the point of about 45-pound weights. You're skating. You're not a great skater to begin with. You're trying to hold up your child, and it just doesn't work. And then you go around the rink a couple of times, only for, as an exhausted parent, to think, man, I need a break carrying my children across the ice, only to hear them clamor for more. I want to go again, Daddy. And your response is, let's do it. And you begin to do it again and again. But anytime you begin something new in life, just as my children began to ice skate at the age of two and four, it's probably going to be hard the first time you try it. Is anybody in this room old enough to remember the first time you tried to figure out how to work the internet? Anybody? We got, we got some people still here old enough first time to try the internet? Uh, back in 1992, it was so painfully slow, okay? If, if you're a young person, you have no idea what you're talking about. What we're talking about, there was this thing called Netscape. It was before Internet Explorer, before Mozilla Firefox, before Safari, they had Netscape. And you got, I got a picture of that on the, this is what the Internet looked like in early 1990. And you're like, what? It, it literally says in one of the boxes, I don't know if you can read it, it says, what's cool? Question mark. This is how you operated the internet in the early 90s. Yeah, it's hard, right? Like, I don't know how to, I couldn't operate that today if you asked me. Um, now, don't laugh, young people. You, you probably, um, you probably never seen one of these things before. This is, called, this is a rotary phone, okay? So young people trying to dial, this is how we used to dial phones. So if you're laughing at the internet, we didn't know how to use the internet, you're, we're going to laugh at you trying to dial your friend using this phone because this is how you would dial someone using a rotary phone. And the same is true of Jesus' ministry when he begins teaching in parables. The, the disciples are confused, having trouble with the way that he teaches. Verse 13 of chapter 4 says, And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Right? And Jesus is like, Hey, you guys don't even understand the simplest of parables. How are you going to understand my teachings? Praise the Lord that the God of the universe doesn't give up on us the first time we don't understand aspects of Jesus' teachings. But the idea Jesus is getting at through this text of Scripture is that following Jesus is not a matter of knowledge. It's not a matter of human wisdom, but it's a matter of the heart. You see, a heart that desires to follow Jesus to hear from him will understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. And those that have hard hearts, we've seen in, in, the, in the preceding chapters, those that have hard hearts and reject Jesus as the Messiah, as the king, well, 
they will continue to not understand while he teaches in parables. The very way that Jesus teaches in parables is so easy that the smallest of children can understand them, and yet so complex that even the smartest minds in the world will not be able to understand what the kingdom of God is like. Even the teachings of Jesus reflect the character of God himself as he perfectly has grace for those who desire to know God intimately, relating the kingdom of God to simple truths that they can understand in everyday life and grasp, and yet judgment for those who have hardened their heart to who Jesus is and cannot understand his teaching. And in this way, the king reveals and he conceals through teaching of parables. He reveals the hearts that yearn to follow and worship the Christ and reveals to them the kingdom of God and conceals to the heart that wants to go their own way through teaching of parables. Let's look at verse one and we'll We'll, we'll get to understand a little bit about what I'm talking about here. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. Now, as was his custom, we see that Jesus gets into a boat to speak to the people. In chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, uh, this is what it says. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Now, remember, Jesus' main goal, his priority, was get the message of the gospel out in these places. And people are wanting to touch him, so they're pressing around him. So he gets in this boat to teach the people on the land, and he's in the boat, and he sits down in the boat, and he begins to teach. And the crowd is on the shoreline hearing him teach, and he begins to teach in what we would call parables. Verse 2 And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. Okay, and we're going to get into the parable in a minute. But this is our first point this morning. The king teaches in parables. The king teaches in parables. And a parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. The Greek word literally means something too. A comparison or to be similar to, like something else. So think of something, a story or, or a comparison or similar to. It's interesting how God has designed the world in which we live as he shows us about himself through the world in which we live. You see, so many things reflect his beauty, his character, his nature. We're supposed to see a loving father and we're supposed to say, oh, how great a heavenly father we have. We're supposed to see a marriage and think to ourselves, oh, how great Christ relates to the church and how great a gospel this is. We're supposed to see an adoption and think, oh, how the Lord chooses and loves his children 
How about the growth of plants and trees, the image of the river in the midst of the new Jerusalem and heaven flowing out from the throne of God as this, this water provides nutrients for us to grow. The highs and the lows of life are like waves crashing down upon a house either built upon Christ or the solid, who is a solid rock or shifting sands. How about how the earth revolves around the sun which is light, and God brings forth light, and the light of the world is Christ. He is the center of all things. It's beautiful if we just look at how he has designed everything and how he has made everything and orchestrated marriage and orchestrated the family to reflect who he is. This is what Romans chapter 1 verse 19 says. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. God has given us pictures of who he is through his creation. So Jesus' teaching is no different than God's picture, glorious pictures of himself in creation. And what we taste, feel, and touch, and see on a daily basis, he relates it to the kingdom of God and how God operates. He uses seed in the sower in this parable Verse 3, listen, a sower went out to sow and he sowed some seed. It fell along the paths. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30, 60-fold, and 100-fold. And he said, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now we're going to get into what this parable means next week. You don't want to miss that. But it's interesting that a good reproducing soil at this time would yield about seven times what was sown. But this soil is yielding 30, 60, and 100 times. The multiplying effect is so great upon the good soil that there is no doubt in denying that it is a work of God. You see, in Genesis, Abraham's son Isaac is blessed by God. And guess how much he is blessed by God? It's 100 times what he has sown. Remember, God said, I will bless you and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And God reaffirms that promise to Isaac. And this is what it says in Genesis 26, 12. And Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. Super interesting, right? How God multiplies the seed that is sown to 100 fold. He is saying this is how the kingdom of God operates. Next week we'll, we'll delve into this parable and Jesus' interpretation. But we must first understand why Jesus teaches the parables. Look at verse 10. This is, this is the most important section we're going to talk about today. And 
This is probably the hardest section of understanding what's going on. Look at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. This is our second point this morning. The king reveals the kingdom of God. The king reveals the kingdom of God. That word there, secret, in the ESV translation, some of your translations, it's mystery. Mysterion in the Greek, it connotates that which was hidden before. So if it was hidden before, God is now revealing it. And God has now revealed his work of grace through Jesus Christ. They knew that the suffering servant would come. They knew a king would come. And yet the secret of the kingdom of God is now being revealed to them in Christ. They get a a good look, an up-close look of God's glorious plan of salvation through Jesus. And in doing so, the parables make sense. If you don't have the Gospels, the stories that Jesus tells don't make sense. Jesus came proclaiming what in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So, so the, the, centri- the, the, the seed that is sown is the central message of the word of God that God will provide a way of salvation for his people. It is the man that has sinned against God and is deserving judgment, and yet in God's grace, he will save his people from their sins. According to his great grace, he will do it, and it will be Jesus who does it. So God is revealing how he works, but if you don't have that central piece of Christ, you're not going to understand the parables in which Jesus talks about. A heart that is not hardened will receive the message of the gospel and God will bless them, producing way more fruit in their life than they could ever imagine. And the seed that is sown will multiply, producing a great harvest in the kingdom of God. And God is revealing this to his people, how he works through simple stories that relate to their everyday life. This isn't the first time God reveals himself or reveals what he wants to do through parables. You see, parables were even before this. In the Old Testament, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to King David to confront him of sin. See, David had taken one of his best friends, had committed adultery with his wife, and then had his best friend killed or murdered. And Nathan comes to him, and he tells him a parable. And this is the parable that he tells him in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. There were two men in this certain city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but this little ewe lamb which he had bought, and he bought it, brought it up, and he grew it with him and his children. It used to eat as morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, prepared it 
for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because of this thing that he has done and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. So the parable is teaching David about himself. We ought to listen to these parables and learn about ourselves. If we're always looking to the person to the right or to the left or the person that's not even here this morning and thinking, man, maybe they should hear what the parable says or maybe they should hear what the word of God says to them. We miss what God wants to hear and say to us through his word and through the teachings of Jesus. Even small children can understand these stories and understand how the kingdom of God works. God is revealing to us these things. And why does he do that? In a way that we can understand it, Jesus teaches in a way that we can understand it. He reveals to us the kingdom of God in simple stories, just as he revealed to David his wickedness and his sin. It's why? Because he loves us. It's because of his grace for us. He's a gracious God. He shows steadfast love to those who love him, forgiving iniquity and sin. But what does he say? After that, when when he passes by Moses and he declares himself the God who forgives iniquity and sin, of God of steadfast love, who, who, who loves and is gracious, what does he say on the cleft of that mountain? He says after that, he will by no means clear the guilty. You get, see, God's glorious salvation through judgment is even seen in the teaching of Jesus. When Jesus is revealing to us who he is. You see, God is a God of justice. Remember last week in Psalm chapter 101, we talked about the steadfast love of God in that psalm. But then it talks about the second half of the psalm, the God of justice. He says, the psalmist begins in, in, in verse 1, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord and his justice. And we talked about the first half, which talked about the steadfast love of God. The second half talks about God's justice. He is a God of steadfast love, and he is a God of justice. He is a God of grace, and he is the God of judgment. He is a just God. He is a God by no means will clear the guilty. I always speak of it this way. How good would God be if he was just a God that said, okay, we'll just allow you to live in your sin and there's no recompense for that. Let's just say somebody murdered a family member of yours and the just judge said to you, oh, well, he said he was sorry. How would you feel about that? No, a just judge says, no, they have done wrong and must be punished for their sin. There must be payment for their sin. He is a just God, by no means clears the guilty, and that's where the cross of Christ comes in, ladies and gentlemen. 
the grace and the judgment, the justice and the mercy of God meet upon the cross where Jesus pays the penalty for sin. God's nature himself displayed upon the cross is the same nature in which is displayed in his teaching of parables. Verse 11, let's look at it together again. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is our third point this morning and it's thus. The king conceals the kingdom of God for his sovereign purpose. You see it there. They may indeed see but not perceive. They may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. The king conceals the kingdom of God in this teaching of the parables. Why? For his sovereign purpose. As the king teaches, he reveals truths about the mystery of the kingdom of God. And in so reveals the hearts of some for life and some for judgment. But even in his teaching, he's revealing and he's concealing the kingdom of God. And why is he doing that? Well, <clears throat> The Bible speaks the people's ability to understand, the ability to hear, to see, and, they, and it relates to their idolatry. The Bible says that they become like deaf idols and they become like blind idols when they worship idols. Psalm chapter 115 verse 3, our God in the heavens, he does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. There is a blinding and there is a un unability for people to hear and to see that are entrenched in idolatry, in sin in their life. In chapter 3, the Pharisees and the religious leaders want to destroy Jesus. Verse 6, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. There is an enemy against the Messiah. And then later, in chapter 3, verse 28, they claim he is possessed by demons. And Jesus declares judgment upon them. Look at verse 28 of chapter 3. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven. The children of man, whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. But is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean Spirit, God, Jesus has pronounced judgment upon them because of their hardness of their hearts in claiming that he is from the devil himself. So how does this all work, right? You're asking this question. It's a difficult question to ask. How does it, how does it work that Jesus reveals parables 
He's revealing the kingdom of God to some and concealing the kingdom of God for others. I think Isaiah chapters 5 and 6 give us clarity on how all this works. Isaiah 5 is God's judicial and final pronouncement upon judgment upon Israel. From the beginning of Israel's time to now, God has over and over and over showed them grace and grace and grace and grace. And now Isaiah is pronouncing their judgment. They are going to be in exile. Jerusalem will be burned to the ground. Their temple will be destroyed. And and this is what he says. The judgment upon Jerusalem has been declared by God himself through the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 1 And it's interesting that this parable is about plants and a vineyard, similar to the parable of the sower. And and let me read it for you. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it. He cleared it of stones and he planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a vine a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. You see, God has determined what he will do. He will destroy Jerusalem. Why? Because it did not produce fruit. It produced a wild fruit. Outside of which the, the vineyard was planted, it produced a bad fruit. Interesting, the same imagery here of the plant not producing fruit, bringing about judgment. What happens in chapter 3 with the the Pharisees' rejection of the Messiah, they are producing bad fruit. And the judgment has been decreed. And what will happen in Isaiah chapter 6 is Isaiah will enter in to the throne room of God and he will... And God himself will reveal himself to Isaiah. He'll bring the burning coal upon his lips. He'll say, your sins are forgiven. Isaiah will say, woe is me, I'm an unclean man in the midst of an unclean people. God will place the burning coal on his lips, offering him atonement. And Isaiah will respond and he will say, To the Lord's question, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Isaiah will say, here I am, send me. This is the chapter right after Isaiah 5 in which I just read about Israel's judgment. 
And he said, go and tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he says, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, And the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removed people far away and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it felled. The holy seed is its stump. So God pronounces not only judgment upon Israel, then he has his prophet who says, keep telling them this message of judgment because judgment will come upon this people. Why? Because of the hardness of their heart and their idolatry unto God. So God's pronouncement of judgment will come to pass, yet even in this rejection, God's sovereign purpose will come to fruition. Why? Because not only will Isaiah pronounce judgment, but then he will pronounce God's gracious mercy through the suffering servant and the king who will come, who will restore back God's people to himself. Now, how does God work and do this? Remember Pharaoh in his heart. God shows Pharaoh these miraculous works of God. Pharaoh's heart is hardened and God hardens Pharaoh's heart Even further, why? To show his glory in his salvation for his people, to bring them up out of Egypt and deliver them from bondage. So in the same way, God's purpose will be accomplished through Israel's rejection of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. They will now fulfill God's plan through their murder of Jesus Christ to save humanity from sin. So the teachings of Jesus are actually furthering God's cause of his plan of salvation through Christ. They may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. So their rejection of the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, God is concealing to them his sovereign purposes, his kingdom of God for his sovereign purposes to be made complete. So what does this mean for you, right? Definitely a hard text of scripture. I hope I broke it down for you so you can understand it. If you don't, you can email me and we'll talk about it. But what does this mean for you? It means that the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel comes to you as life or death. It comes to you as blessing or judgment. You either hear it or you don't. Your heart becomes harder to the Lord. And I got a friend up here. He's, he's uh, he, I don't know what that is. 
if this day gets any weirder, we'll we'll just we'll just continue on. But your your heart either grows harder to the Lord or it softens to the Lord. You receive God's word as a person who believes that Jesus is the Messiah and you believe upon the Lord, or you say, you know what, I'm I'm really not interested in this. And the word of God actually preached to you or taught to you becomes either a blessing or a judgment. Therefore, your response, either to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and to believe Jesus is the Messiah and to allow him to teach you in the ways of God to further his kingdom or which is grace and mercy to you or to reject him as Lord and the judgment and wrath of God is coming for you. But guess what? Even if you reject him as Lord, guess what? God's gonna accomplish his sovereign purpose through you just as he did these Pharisees. He's going to do what he wants to do even in your rejection. But for us, why would we not humble ourselves? Why would we not humble ourselves to be like little children who understand the truths of the kingdom of God in simple ways? Why would we not see Jesus as the one who is prophesied about, as the one who came to pay for our sins on the cross and radically give up everything for the kingdom of God? You see the the blessing and the curses, even back in the Old Testament, the mountain of blessing, the mountain of curses, is even here in the teachings of Jesus. May we be people who see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and respond because our hearts are softened to who God is and who Christ is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. As you reveal and conceal through parables, we pray, Father, that our hearts are opened to what you want to speak to us. Uh, and Father, we pray that as, as it was spoken to David, we would see ourselves in these parables. And that our hearts would uh, be transformed to see areas of um, sin in our life that need transformation that we need to, to commit to you to repent and turn and believe upon Christ. We pray that, Father, you would open our eyes to see your teachings as truth. And, Father, for those who have rejected your word, we pray that you would miraculously um, open their ears to hear and their eyes to see who you are through the message of the gospel. Father, we thank you for this morning that we gather together as the people of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna respond and worship this morning, so would you worship with us? If you need to come and talk to a pastor this morning, you can do that.